You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me for this last opponent preview, our FSU preview, is Will Miles, co-host, and uh, you can find his work at readandreaction.com. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. So Will will be wrapping up this, uh, you know, season kicks off in a week or so. And we're wrapping up our opponent previews with the uh, big time rival and season finale of Florida State Seminoles. <laughs> yeah, we held off as long as we could before we had to talk about these guys. But, uh, <laughs> but it, it, you know, it's always fun. I've been to a bunch of these. And, you know, back when Tebow was putting up 50 on him, it was a lot of fun. So, uh you know, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll hope that we can get back to those ways this year. Exactly, exactly. Hopefully, it's on that way when two first-year head coaches meet up in Dan Mullen and Willie Taggart. Remember, you can find all the Gators Breakdown episodes on News4Jacks.com/slash Gators Breakdown. There, you'll find all all of our past opponent previews that'll catch you up from all the way from uh, we didn't go to Charleston Southern, we started with Kentucky all the way to FSU. So you can go to News4Jacks.com/slash Gators Breakdown, catch all of those. Uh, as well as the articles from the News for Jack sports team. Oh, hey, catch the um, podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. If you want the video version, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and on Facebook at Gators Breakdown. You're using all those services. Please rate, share, review the show, and let Gator Nation know what they're getting with Gators Breakdown. So, Will, you know, a lot of the previews that we've done, uh, going back to just recruiting and talking just in general, um, you know, about this season, when we get to this Florida State game, it is a must-win for Florida this year. You know, these are two first-year head coaches that will that will always be compared in, in, in that manner since they were hired in the same season. You know, and before Dan Muller was even hired, and when Florida, you know, missed out on Chip Kelly, a lot of you know there there was some of the fan base that started the Willie Taggart hire. You know, for Florida as well, and there, you know there was some behind-the-scenes uh, dealings and going on there. So you know, it's kind of funny how uh, everything comes full circle uh, when. when 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 talking about uh, Willie Taggart here, but you know, this would be uh, the season finale for for both uh, schools and for the last game of the season for two first year head coaches. And you know, as Bill was said, this game is huge. Um, you know, he has the stat here. Ever since two thousand five, the winner of this game goes on to have the uh, highest ranked recruiting class the following February. 
Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, Florida and Florida State have only really been good at the same time when there's been, you know, when Spurrier and Bobby Bowden were there, and those are obviously transcendent coaches. Um, you know, when Urban Meyer took over, Bowden was sort of on the way out, and then when Jimbo Fisher started to assert himself, um, Florida was obviously struggling under Muschamp and, and McIlwain. And so, yeah, I think it's a big deal in the state, especially when you've got Miami with Rick down there, at least pulling in some recruits, whether they're winning the games they should or not, it's a different question, but pulling in recruits, that this is certainly a an important game in the state. It's an important game because Florida hasn't won it in a while. And like you said, you've got the Taggart Mullen comparisons and, and that's going to ramp things up, um, you know, because it is conceivable that, that Taggart could have wound up at Florida. Um, you know, you don't know how much went on behind the scenes there, but certainly it's, it's, it's a comparison point, right? Florida and Florida state both hired new coaches this year. They were both very, very close in their transition class recruiting. We'll see where they end up this year in their bump class recruiting. But a lot of that might be determined by what happens on the field here, because if you've got any guys who are oscillating between the two of them, if Florida can really put a stamp on this game and make it, you know, don't win 17-16, but win 31-10, to well, all of a sudden, um, people view Gainesville a lot differently than they have the last four or five years. Yep, so, you know, Willie Tiger is first and foremost, especially in the state of Florida, known as a really good recruiter. But, you know, he, he's built some programs, rebuilt some programs. Uh, but Florida State did hire a guy who's yet to win a conference championship, hasn't won a bowl game, has a losing record in his eight seasons as a head coach. But, you know, he really hasn't been around a, a job long enough. You know, there's he's, he's brought some talent in the schools, and we know if he had stuck around South Florida and, and much as they've done, uh, much as winning as they've done the last two years, you know, he he's he's – um, responsible for some of that. And if he would have stuck around, you know, his overall record would definitely be better. You know, Charlie Strong went 10 and 2 at South Florida last year. And, you know, that, that easily could have been Willie Tiger's team and probably pretty similar results. So, you know, I, you know, yes, joking between fan bases, it, 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 don't get me wrong, it, it is still a point of contention of his overall record. But, you know, if he stuck around some of the places, that overall record probably would be a little bit better. Yeah, I would think so. But I mean, part of it, he has not made an immediate impact when he's come into the different schools. When he came into Western Kentucky, again, he's an offensive guy, comes into Western Kentucky in 2009. They were 80th in yards per play, went down to 101st. When he came to South Florida, they were 83rd, went down to 123rd. And when he came to Oregon, they were 20th in yards per play and they went down or they went down to 43rd. So each of his three stops, the offense has actually gotten worse on a yards per play basis. Now points per game has, has improved slightly for a couple of those stops. But again, I think if we're really, you know, if you're looking at underlying statistics to understand what happens to a team, when Taggart comes in, there's been an adjustment period in the offense. Now, obviously at Western Kentucky and at South Florida, the offense started to take hold at Oregon. You can't really tell because he was only there for a year. Um, you know, and really the determining factor in his success has been the defenses. So at Oregon, the defense went from 71st in yards per play to 30th. That's why Oregon got better between 2016 to 2017. And obviously that's more crystal ball. And, um, you know, Taggart isn't a defensive oh, coach. It was, it was Levitt, right? Or I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, Levitt. So, um, you know, so Taggart isn't necessarily a defensive guy. He certainly has sort of invented his own offense. But I don't know that he's necessarily shown, at least in year one, that he that he he has definitely not shown a huge impact on the teams that he's taken over. Now, he's got a lot more talent at Florida State than he had at any of those three stops. But, you know, again, if he sees the same kind of decrease in offense, Florida State's going to be in trouble because they didn't have a whole lot last year. 
Yep, and going back to last year, he is taking over a FSU team that went 7-6. and six. Hey, look, close calls, NC State, Miami, Louisville. Those games could have went either way, but uh, it's still – uh, finished seven and six. Um, you know, just we remember Gator game last year where uh, Felipe Franks really <laughs> helped them out a lot. Uh, but you know, still a lot of moving parts. You know, it's it's not instant come in and, and fix it right away. You uh, quarterback position, you know, quarterback battle there that looks like DeAndre Francois is going to win there. A beat up offensive line, uh, and still. Uh, you go back in spring, you're, you know, they're still figuring out parts along um, that offensive line there. Uh, wide receiver core doesn't have a for sure thing. They got talent there. Just nothing, uh, not, not a whole lot proven there. And, you know, look, this is a different offense. You know, Jimbo Fisher's known for more of the pro style, drop back style. And now you're, you're coming in with this uh, speed them up. Uh, spread style of offense and you know a, a lot of quarterback runs um you know and and and, and did adjust a little last year at Oregon you know with, with more of a uh, um a quarterback that could throw the ball so you know uh, I, I think he can adjust a bit but you know just still still it's talent that has to take hold uh from a pro style to a now more spread style yeah, I want to go back to something you said there about the close calls. And certainly NC State, Miami, and Louisville were all one-score games that Florida State could have won. But they also struggled against Wake Forest, Duke, yeah. and Syracuse. They were 3-3 three and three in one-score games. And one-score games against Wake Forest, Duke, and Syracuse are not a place where you want to be if you're a Power 5 team who has aspirations of winning championships, which is what Florida State came into last year, at least, you know, thinking at least they'd be able to compete against Alabama in that first game. And it just really wasn't all that close. So, you know, I, I think there's clearly a lot of work to do. Most of the work needs to be done on the offensive side of the ball. So they were 88th in offensive yards per play, 67th in pass yards per play, 76th in rush yards per play. So, you know, not explosive at either place. And But again, there were extenuating circumstances with Jimbo Fisher and all the Texas A&M rumors. I mean, we certainly experienced that on the Florida side with Jim McElwain right around the Georgia and Missouri games. So, um, you know, I expect them to be better on offense this year, but like I said, Taggart hasn't necessarily shown that. And so a lot of it probably is going to be on the, uh, on the arm of the quarterback and we'll see who they decide to go with there. Yep. So, you know, spread speed, tempo, uh, that's what they're going to bring. And Walt Bell comes over from Maryland as the offensive coordinator, uh, kind of, you know, interesting, you know, it still was Whitley Taggart's offense. So, you know, I think we'll see how those two, uh, work together there. Uh, it's going to be difficult if that offensive line is it much better. Uh, center Alec Eberly, excuse me. No, uh, you know he's you know probably the best of the bunch there. Um, but health, you know, they were beat up in the spring, uh, so they needed to develop some depth early on. It'd be interesting to see how much the staff could implement all they wanted to due to the injuries. You know, going back in the spring, you know, I th- with, with players learning a, a new offense and you're struggling to find uh, pieces. To, to fit into the puzzle because of injuries in the springtime, you know, it may have slowed down the development a little. Well, not only that, but you've got all the, you've got the two guys fighting for the quarterback position between Francois and Blackman. And so, you know, we talked about this last year with Florida having three guys fighting for, for the quarterback. And, you know, if, if you're trying to develop and you haven't picked that quarterback yet, that can really impact the development too. So um, yeah, it, it's, you know, the guys that they've got are not necessarily designed for the system that they're trying to implement. Um, you know, the quarterback, Francois, two years ago had 108 rushing attempts. Blackman last year had 64. So it's not as if these guys are running, you know, 100, 180 times a year like you would in a spread offense. Certainly not the same thing as as uh, the guys that the Taggart's had at Oregon or at USF. And so um, he's going to have to make some adjustments. We'll see if he can do that. 
Yeah, you you mentioned that there is there is experience there, of course, but you know, experience in a whole wholly different system. Uh, as as we were talking about, you know, James Blackman, you know, really really skinny kid. Uh, could he, you know, if he has to run the ball a lot, could he, you know, if he if he gets a lot of playing time, could he could he hold up there? Bailey shot Bailey Hawkman got his shot uh, as well, but it looks like it's going to be DeAndre Francois, you know, coming back from that knee injury against Alabama. Uh, looks like he'll be the guy. He he is the most complete quarterback of uh, of the three guys. Uh, could push the ball down the field. Uh, he can run uh, a little bit. We'll see how he you know transfers to just what they call Gulf Coast offense. Um, probably the most accurate of two there, uh, as well with his arms. So and you know, a consistent fall camp pretty much leads him to be the starter, I believe. Uh, you know, we'll see. We're recording this on Sunday night. Uh, I'm pretty sure Willie Taggart will name his starting quarterback on Monday as well. One reason we decided to kind of wait and, and do this FSU preview is to see if FSU would name uh, a starting quarterback. But, you know, he, he had a – when he – that full season, you go back to, uh, Will, you know, 3,350 yards passing, 20 scores, you know, seven picks. He's a he's a talented quarterback, a, a smart quarterback under Jimbo Fisher. And as we just mentioned many times, we'll see how he comes along in this new offense. But, you know, he also going to have to find some guys to throw to. As we mentioned, these receivers, Alden Tate's gone, along with uh, Ryan Izzo. Uh, but Naquan Murray led the team uh, in receiving yards last year. He returns. Uh, George Campbell's good when he's healthy. Uh, and you had to, you had to go back to the spring and to, to Maury and Terry, a uh, good-looking guy there who had a really good spring. So, But the group struggled with consistency. So given all these new, new pieces, uh, a quarterback that's going to have to fit into a new system, a wide receiver core, um, that's kind of inconsistent, unproven. They, they may be re- relying on this run game with Cam Akers. Yeah, they definitely will be. Now, I would say that Francois is definitely the guy I would choose. So he yeah. only completed 58.8% of his passes two years ago, but Blackman only completed 582 last year. The big difference between the two of them was that Francois averaged 8.4 yards per attempt, while Blackman only averaged 7.5. And, and so um, – you know, that, that really is where the difference between those two guys are. Also, Francois averaged 1.8 yards per rush and Blackman was minus 0.6. So he's more of a running, he's more of a running threat as well than Blackman, even though, you know, it feels like Blackman should move around a little bit better. Now we'll see what happens coming off that patella injury. That That's not a joke. I mean, they got to split your knee right down the middle to, to fix that. I've had that one done and it is not a comfortable thing and it's not comfortable to get hit down there, you know, even two or three years later. And, uh, and so now how's he going to be comfortable? Coming off of that, is he going to be comfortable back in the pocket? Is he going to be comfortable running some of the things that Taggart wants to do? Um, and and yeah, I think Akers is the most talented guy on the offense, and he's the guy that they're going to rely on very heavily, especially early on. Yeah, you know, and him and uh, Patrick, the um, Jockeys, Patrick, you know, a pretty one, two, pretty good one-two punch there. Eighteen hundred yards, fourteen scores. Um, you know, and uh, as I mentioned, the offensive line who didn't really live up to the expectations last year, but you know. Going back for Cam Akers, he was big time recruit. Didn't really live up to the the, the big time billing uh, that he had coming in. You know, one thousand twenty five yards, seven touchdowns. Um, but you know, five eleven, two thirteen, uh, one hundred ninety nine yards, two scores versus Syracuse, one hundred twenty one uh, against Miami. He wanted to do it all by himself. As a member, Jock has Patrick with him as well, and they'll find some imaginative ways to to get Kalen Laybourne, a youngster there, a redshirt freshman who was uh, really lit it up in the spring. You know, they got a, three good running backs there, but uh, you know, I still think Cam Akers is really going to have to take uh, in that next step to be that big star running back, and he'll have every opportunity in this run heavy uh, offense. I expect from Willie Tiger. 
Sure. I mean, I think that one of the things we do need to keep in mind is he ran for 1,025 yards, like you said, with a 5.3 average. That's better than any of the guys on Florida's roster have done, um, have on their resumes right now. from Malik Davis. From a yards per carry, that's true. But but with that kind of volume as well, you know, Florida, I don't think has had a thousand yard rusher since Kelvin Taylor. Mm -hmm. He certainly wasn't averaging over five yards a rush. So, you know, is it Dalvin Cook? No, but that's one of the things we sort of said about Georgia is that Sony Michelle and and Nick Chubb are really, really good. And to expect DeAndre Swift to come in and play maybe like Akers is probably an appropriate comparison. To expect him to play like Michelle and Chubb right off the bat, probably not a reasonable thing. I think the same thing with Florida State and Akers. It seemed like he was significantly less um less of a threat than than you know, just because we were used to Dalvin Cook being back there, and every time he got the ball, he could take it to the house. Akers may not be that kind of guy, but he's still a really good running back, and I think we need to keep that in mind. Patrick averaged 5.6 yards per rush on 134 carries, so a pretty significant number of carries back there. Um, you know, they're, they're going to be good running the ball, um, but again, like you said, a lot of that's going to come down to the offensive line. And, and there, you know, they do have a couple of guys. They've got a senior, Alec Eberly, at center. They've got Derek Kelly, a senior at left tackle. Then they've got a junior at right guard, Cole Minshaw, and then Landon Dickerson and Josh Ball are sophomores, but four-star guys at left guard and right tackle. So they, you know, some of those guys were just getting their first playing time last year. You only need one offensive lineman to screw up an assignment to get a guy hit in the backfield. I do expect that they'll be better there, but they are learning a new, uh, they are learning a new, uh, a new system. And early on, this probably won't apply for when Florida's playing them, but early on, you can, I, I can envision some issues where they might have. They might have some issues with the quarterback exchange with the running back. You see that a lot when people shift from a pro style offense to more of a uh, to more of a spread, where that exchange becomes an issue. Um, and it, and it, and it really only takes a couple of games to sort of have things go downhill. I mean, we saw that last year with Florida. We saw that down, last year with Florida State. You know, all of a sudden they were sort of looking up at one and three and. You know, it, it was just sort of fighting uphill the rest of the year, having to reschedule a hurricane game to make the bowl game. So, uh, you know, I, I think they're in a better position this year to run the ball um, just with the experience in the offensive line. But I think what you outlined in terms of the skill players is true, that Akers is obviously a really, really talented wide receiver. They don't have anybody who jumps off the page at the wide receiver position. There's nobody that I go, oh, we have to stop that guy or, oh, we don't have the secondary to stop that guy. Um, so I'm not necessarily worried about him putting up 45 points. Um, you know, the question is always with Florida is, is 17 enough <laughs> and, and we'll have to figure that out. All right. Well, we move to the other side of the ball and they got to replace, uh, you know, some big time defensive backs there. I uh, look, you know, it'd be hard to replace Derwin James, uh, and, and start like, and the starting linebacker core, uh, from the end of last year is gone or, or hurt uh, and the defensive line lost, you know, some pieces in Josh Sweat and Derek Nottie. And we'll start with the defensive front. Uh, Derek Nottie, Josh Sweat gone, but, you know, DeMarcus Christmas comes back on the inside. Brian Burns, I'm telling you, I remember, you know, him in the recruiting world and how much I wanted him at Florida. Uh, you know, he's out there at FSU making plays now. You know, but more so as a freshman going back two years ago, nine and a half sacks. He was expected to be, uh, you know, built upon that and be even bigger playmaker, uh, and you know didn't didn't necessarily take that that next step. He was okay, forty eight tackles, you know, but lowered his sacks by five, four and a half sacks, 
uh, 13 and a half tackles for a loss there. Uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't rip it up like, like we thought he would. So, uh, can, can you put it all together for in, in his third year? Hey, look, and this is going to be, uh, maybe that NFL look, NFL year. So you go out there and put some stats up, but six, five, two thirty one, really quick guy. Great first step. Uh, pass rush was just okay, but there just wasn't enough plays, uh, in, in the backfield by Florida state standards. So it'd be a loaded line. Uh, but, you know, it's probably something that gets better as the year goes on. Uh, it's definitely led by Burns there. Yeah, they've they've recruited very, very well up front, certainly better at defensive line and linebacker than Florida has over the last few years. Uh, oh, and how we've seen that mismatch every year. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, we have. I mean, I, I still – I still, I think Felipe Franks is still having some nightmares from last year's game probably. But, um, you know, none of the guys that they brought in who have been high-level recruits, again, have been somebody where I've been like, okay, I'm really, really scared of him. I mean, Josh Sweat last year had five and a half sacks – and you sort of thought he might break out at any time. Certainly had a lot of athletic ability. Didn't necessarily translate into a ton of big plays. Same thing you said with Burns. Um, you, you know, so we'll see whether Taggart can get more out of them than Jimbo Fisher and his staff did. Again, I think reading into this a little bit, there was some weird stuff going on in that locker room, just like there was in Florida's. And, and so some of these guys may have, uh, you know, may have had some issues that 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 were off the field that, that just, you know, with the staff and with what was going on. And maybe that impacted some of the on-field performance. Um, you know, Derwin James obviously was very, very talented. I'm not sure that that talent always necessarily translated onto the field. Um, I think that's one of the frustrations that people had with Jimbo Fisher and his staff. Um, I was a little bit surprised at how angry Florida state was at their coach last year. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, Burns is the guy who's going to have to step up. Burns and Christmas are the guys that I think you really need to be looking at, along with uh, Josh Kando, um, you know, a five-star recruit. He's a sophomore, played pretty well last year. Um, I think those are the guys. So Kando had six and a half tackles for loss, four sacks. If those guys step up and really put pressure on the quarterback, Florida State's defense could be pretty good. Yeah, and you go back uh, to the linebackers there, so you know some good athletes there. Uh, leading tackler Matthew Thomas, though, is gone, and so is Hoskins, uh, Roderick Hoskins, Hoskins uh, Emmett Rice, trying to come back from an injury. So probably a smaller group, but Adonis Thomas, uh, really the name to look out for there at one of the outside spots. Dontavious Jackson uh, stepping up in the middle. Uh, Jackson could be good uh, with a little bit of time there. Uh, not really a weakness, but it's the you know, linebacker is a spot they really have to work on uh, with piece, with the pieces that they have coming back that have a little bit of experience. Yeah, well, that's actually a common theme on both sides of the ball for Florida State. So overall, if you look at Phil Steele starting 22, they averaged two and a half years of experience, mm. both offense and defense. It's 2.55 years of experience on the offensive on the offensive side, 2.45 on the defensive side. So they're three on the offensive line. The linebackers are 2.33 and the defensive backs are 2.25. So very, very inexperienced at the linebacker and the defensive back position. And, and that's going to, that's going to present itself throughout the season. It just is. So if you compare that to Florida, their defensive line is averages three years of experience. The linebackers average 3.25 and the defensive backs average 2.25. So mm. Florida has significantly more experience than Florida state. And, and, one of the things that we've noticed, you know, anybody who can, anybody who's been a Florida fan for any length of time remembers that 2007 season. We've talked about it in reference to Georgia again, but that 2007 season where Florida had an awful lot of talent, but they didn't have the experience and that, and that team struggled on defense, even though Tebow won the Heisman trophy and then was lights out the next year. You know, Florida state has really good talent on the defensive side of the ball, but it's not 
it's not that kind of talent on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and certainly with that lack of experience, I think there are going to be some things you can do, assuming you get time. You know, there will be some double moves. You can run in the corners. You can you can do some things to really isolate some of those guys. I, I think that's something Mullen, more so than McIlwain, should be able to take advantage of. Yeah, and then you guys got secondary and, uh, you know, take, like as I mentioned, the pieces they missed there. Um, you know, and like well, like you said, you know, going back and probably everything they had to face in their own locker room too. You know, a lot of talent there maybe still didn't live up to uh, expectations um, you know, as one of the all-time great defensive backfields, like you kind of thought maybe going into last year uh, that they could. But, you know, still very talented. Lose Derwin James, Nate Andrews, Tavares McFadden, Trey Marshall. But it is Florida State. They'll be able to, you know, just like Florida, they, they turn DBs and um, put them in there too. Uh, as well, Levante Taylor, he's one guy that they'll keep at corner. Uh, Kyle Myers is probably going to be the other corner on the other side. Yeah, you know, Stanford Samuels can play anywhere. Might take a little bit, but uh, you know you, they'll have pieces that that come together. Um, but you're probably kind of looking like maybe Florida did last year. They'll have guys that can come in. Uh, there'll be some growing pains, but they'll they'll also you when when the season's over with, you look at them as a whole and say they were pretty talented, and you and you can see the potential. Yeah, but the and but they're really really young, and and certainly so. If you look last year, Florida State was 14th in defensive yards per play. They were fifth in defensive pass yards per play, and they were a little bit unlucky. So they were 30th in points per game allowed at 21.2. So they played a little bit worse than their underlying stats would have suggested, and gave up a few more points than their underlying stats would suggest. And some of that I think is due to the offense sort of putting them in some bad positions, but. They aren't going to repeat fifth in defensive pass yards per play with these guys, just based on who they lost, who they've lost in the secondary. You know, particularly Derwin James. And so, if that goes down a little bit, you can anticipate that maybe they're a little bit luckier this year, and they don't have that discrepancy between their yards per play and their points per game. But I would imagine their points per game is probably going to end up around the same place because I'm I'm, I'm anticipating their secondary is going to be worse. Yeah, they had 15 takeaways as a defense as a whole last year. So, you know, they would think, you know, definitely, I mean, definitely want more than that. Uh, uh, first half of the season last year, uh, they only had, you know, six turnovers in the first eight games. So, uh, got better as the season went on there. But, you know, not pressuring the quarterback as much as, as years past uh, there, you know, probably plays uh, a part in that. So, Will, you know, also, just kind of an interest for you is because uh, also uh, your other team, Virginia Tech, plays FSU week one. So uh, FSU, is uh, their schedule is bookended by by your teams. Hey, man, I'll, I'll be cheering on Fuente and the Hokies the whole time <laughs> that's going on. And and certainly it's good to have two teams because then I can uh, – then I got six hours a day I can commit to this stuff or seven hours a day I can commit to this stuff rather than, rather than just the three and a half. But uh, – no, it'll be good to get a sneak peek. I think Virginia Tech and Frank Beamer is one of the teams that I really think plays. Um, they scheme individually. You know, they've, they've got their base defense, but he usually throws some things, especially these games where he's got some time, will throw some things at Florida State that Florida State hasn't seen. So I think there are probably some things that Florida will be able to learn from looking at that tape, um, but also some things that maybe they want to avoid from looking at that tape, um, just because I'm sure there will be some new wrinkles from the Florida State side as well. All right, Will. So that was the last one we've done. We've previewed every opponent Florida has faced here. Um, you know, things I take away from what we did, and, and, you know, because we got to learn a lot more about these teams than, you know, if we wouldn't have done this. You know, of course, we had to research and do all that, you know, to, to bring our listeners, uh, you know, what we think are key parts of the teams uh, that Florida will face. And, you know, I came away thinking behind Georgia, I think, you know, Florida 
Um, Missouri and South Carolina are a lot closer than I probably originally thought. I think those teams, uh, you know, and, and like I said, you know, I was splitting hairs at SEC Media Days when I, was, when I was making picks here. You know, I said when it's when it's close, bias takes over. So that's why I picked Florida second in the East. Uh, like I said, I had no problem people pick, picking South Carolina. I thought Missouri was a little further behind until I did a little more research in, in preparing for this. So. You know, I know I mentioned that in the last episode when we got done with, with South Carolina here, uh, but that that was one you know one big takeaway uh, there, and just also you know that that stretch in the middle of the season or, or the beginning of the season when you have to, when you have Tennessee at uh, or at Tennessee, LSU, Mississippi State, you know that that trifecta there. Uh, you know we talked about that on a recent uh, podcast as well, but you know, those are my two biggest takeaways from from doing this is the teams behind Georgia in that next tier are really really close and Florida that all-important stretch for me of Tennessee, Mississippi State, and LSU. Yeah, the two things I really took away from it, I guess, are South Carolina was really lucky last year. They went 6-1 and one in close games. I didn't realize that. I knew I wasn't really afraid of Bentley, but I, but I wasn't it wasn't clear to me why why South Carolina went nine and four until I saw that they were six and one in close games, and that is definitely not much champion. So, <laughs> so I expect that to be three and three or three and four this year, and uh, and they'll be right back to where to where we expect a must champ team to be. I would say the other thing that that you know you see all the recruiting for Georgia. And you see the separation and it becomes this exercise of, you know, you, you don't want to feel completely hopeless going into the mm-hmm. game against Georgia. And I think when we started breaking down Georgia, particularly since we had to do it twice since you erased the first one, um, <laughs> you know, when we when we started breaking down Georgia, there are reasons for hope, right? Yeah. When, you look, when you look back at where they were last year when Eason went out and Fromm took over, um, there were some things that went their way that if they don't go their way this year, then Georgia can be had for a game or two in the SEC. I don't expect them to go seven and six, but I can ex- I can see them going 10 and two. And if they go 10 and two, that gives a team an opportunity like Missouri, like Florida, like maybe even Tennessee to jump up into that area, you know, to jump up even, even a nine and three team. If one of those losses is at a conference, like Florida loses to Florida state loses two SEC games, but happens to be Georgia and Georgia goes 10 and two and loses to, you know, Tennessee and LSU, well, you can see an avenue for Florida to sneak their way in. And so that's something that I I don't think heading in, I think it was basically like, hey, Georgia's number one. It's not even close. And, you know, <laughs> let's just let's just prepare for 2019. I'm not there. I mean, I'm, I still think they're the most likely team to win the SEC East, but I can see some holes and I can see a path to another team winning. And that was something that I probably didn't see on the way, you know, on the way into these. Another thing I learned is you're a little bit higher on Tennessee than most people. I am a little bit higher on Tennessee. They've got they've got quite a bit of talent. Um, you know, when you when you look at where they have recruited compared to some of the other contemporaries. And so um, you know, can Pruitt do something with that? I don't know. I know I'm more scared of him having not seen him coach a game than I was of Butch Jones having seen him coach many games. And so, so, you know, until he proves to me that he's as bad as Butch Jones, that I'm going to be more scared of Tennessee than I was when Butch Jones was there. So it's almost like it's a wins above replacement type of thing here where Butch Jones was good for two or three gaffes a year that would cost Tennessee a game they should win against Vanderbilt or Missouri or or somebody else who was a bottom feeder. And, and you know, I, I think Pruitt, if he only wins the games he's supposed to win based on talent, Tennessee will be a lot better than they were under Butch. Yeah. All in all, Will, you know, doing this uh, for the 10 games we did it, we didn't do Charleston Southern, we didn't do Idaho. Uh, you know, a good indicator of where these teams are headed and you know what, it probably won't play out like we said it did. 
said it was. Oh no, we're <laughs> we're going to be completely wrong. I've, I've already got people giving me crap about Burrow because he's not playing well in scrimmages at LSU, which is fine because if he comes out and lights it up against Miami, you can bet I'm going to be crowing like like you wouldn't believe. But hey, that's um, another thing our new listeners have probably learned is your man crush on Burrow. <laughs> well, this is important because you know I've got people sending gifts your way of me like of me spooning him and stuff, so they, they start getting confused when those things come out. So we got to make sure they, uh, they they know what that's about. But uh, no, I mean I, I am excited for the year. I think there are a lot of things on the Florida side that point towards a successful th- season, but I think there are a lot of places where you can say, hey, there's legitimate reason for concern um, going into this season, and and it's going to be really cool to see how Mullen sort of plugs some of the holes that we saw last year and um if he's able to do it and if he can do it like you said there's georgia who's sort of the clear number one and then you've got this grouping of other teams who could take second and i I think if florida can take second that's got to be considered a successful 2018 i think so too i think so too so all right well that's it for our opponent previews taking us into the final uh or taking us up to game week uh game week for the gators as they uh host charleston southern uh for the first game of the 2018 season and Dan Mullins uh, first season in Gainesville. Well, it, it was fun doing all these and I hope, uh, I hope the listeners got something out of all of them. You know, we've gotten some feedback from all the listeners out there, you know, thanks for doing this. Cause you know, it, I don't know if fans want to go out there and buy every preseason magazine and do all their own research, but you know, if they're going to listen to Gators breakdown. Now they can learn about the other opponents as well. Yeah. Well, plus we tried to do this in one podcast last year and it was like two and a half hours long. <laughs> so, so, so this worked out a little bit better only, you know, give, keep, keeping people's attention for, for 30 minutes. And unless we were pre-ran Vanderbilt, then it was like 12 minutes long, but, uh, <laughs> but other than that, no, it's a good time. It's good to look at this and, and sort of get a perspective of where Florida is. So I hope everybody enjoyed that. Um, certainly we're going to be making point predictions as the year, as the year progresses. Yeah. Um, there's no real sense in saying we're going to beat Florida state 31 to 20 right now. Right, like we right, just exactly. don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, there's going to be injuries. There's going to be developments. I mean, you know, Emory Jones may be playing by then or Felipe Franks may be an all American who knows. So, um, you know, we will, uh, we'll see how, how the season progresses and we'll make those picks then. But yeah, hopefully everybody enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, if nothing else, they can look back and, and tweet at us that we're idiots after the season. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing I did want to make clear, too, in, in doing these. These are our opponent previews, and, and game previews will be done during the season, uh, usually midweek uh, before the season uh, kicks off um, or before the games kick off for the for the next opponent there. So, Will, later on this week, uh, you know, this is, uh, like I said, we did this one live. All the other ones kind of been pre-recorded. all the other opponent previews. Uh, but coming up this week, you know, tomorrow we'll do uh, – you know, this is recorded on Sunday night, uh, heading into game week on Monday night. We'll sure, well, I'm sure we'll have Dan Mullen's press conference and when he named the starting quarterback between Felipe Franks and Kyle Trask. Uh, so we'll discuss that. We'll talk about, you know, went back and looked at the Herbie Awards this past weekend. I saw it air on ESPN uh, there. So, you know, we'll, we'll kind of piggyback off of that and pick some, uh, you know, popular topics of Florida as far as breakout players, uh, underrated players, secret players, uh, all that good stuff like that. And, um, you know, some, uh, it was kind of popular last year. We did it. We'll do some over and unders as far as uh, certain stats go for the Gators. Yeah, well, hopefully nobody goes back and uh, looks at how we did on our over-unders last year because <laughs> we had both Callaway and Scarlett in that over-under episode. So <laughs> I'm not sure who won except, except for the fan experience. I think the fan uh, experience lost on that. But, uh, no, it's going to be fun. Can't wait for football season to start. We can finally stop talking about recruiting and stop talking about, you know, what Mullen's going to do and actually see what he does, and I'm, I'm excited. 
Absolutely. And also, also working on uh, getting Chris Doring in uh, in the middle of the week. That'll be Tuesday or Wednesday. And we'll have Chris Doring come on from the SEC Network, former Gators uh, wide receiver, and have him uh, preview the season, preview uh, you know the first game for the Gators. And uh, we'll, we'll take it from there uh, and, and get the thoughts of Chris Doring. Sounds good. I'm excited to hear it. Sounds good. All right, Will, that's we did it. Uh, you can find Will on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his work at readandreaction.com. I'm David Waters, host of Gators Breakdown. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys, I'm going to go there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.